Well, good morning again. It's good to be with you. It's good to be together, to hear your voices singing, uh, to come together in prayer, and now to come to the Word together. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. We're going to look at one verse this morning. It's a good verse, an important verse. Um, As we wrap up our series, Friendship with God, uh, this is our last Sunday of that. Next Sunday, we will uh, you get to hear from one of our global outreach partners, Don Parsons, updating us on life and ministry in the Poland and Ukraine area, and I'm very eager and excited about that. So as we look forward to that, let's also close our series well this morning, uh, looking at Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that it would do a good work in our hearts today. Maybe we come in here weary or worn down, maybe we come in distracted or discouraged, whatever it might be that might describe the character of our hearts right now. God, we pray that your truth would do a good work in us. So would you do that, Holy Spirit, and help as we come to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever looked down on lightning? Have you ever looked down on lightning? Early days of our marriage, Laura and I were flying to Florida with family for a vacation We had a connection in Atlanta in the summer during a crazy summer Southeast America storm. We were delayed a few times and finally got out of there only to fly right into the beast of another storm. Oh, it was night, which only made it more ominous. The pilot, with a level of calm that seemed out of place for the context, said we were going to have to get up above the storm, which I assumed meant outer space. As we rose up through the storm clouds, our plane rocked and shook. Lights flickered. Did I mention it was that night? I'm not sure if I mentioned that part. Then we hit a clearing above the cloud wall. And all that felt once felt so ominous. And dark was no more, was but a faint memory. The vista of the last glimmers of the sun, the emerging night sky of stars and moon, the overwhelming calm washed over our cabin. It was such a striking change until my eye caught something that I had never, ever thought about before, lightning below me. We were indeed above the storm, and as we flew above it, I watched lightning spiderweb in the clouds below. It was mesmerizing. That one, what, what, excuse me, that what once seemed foreboding and ominous, that what once rocked and shook our plane, was now all those things, but without the threat. While I marveled at what I saw, It didn't lose the ominous and scary feels. It's just that I knew it wouldn't ever touch us. 
because our vantage point had changed. 20 plus years later, I still remember that night vividly. It also stuck with me because it seems like it would be something you would add to a modern interpretation of the pilgrim's progress, though I am not advocating for any modern interpretation. Just leave classics alone. That aside, the flight through the storm and above the lightning has been for me a picture of the hope the Christian has in this life. No matter the storms, the lightning, the turbulence, the darkness, the Christian has a pilot who calmly flies us through it all and helps us see above and beyond. Friendship with God, a friendship experienced in this life, is our means of such hope. Not just hope, but abounding hope. We are closing our summer series with a vista of all that God means to us and has for us in this friendship. And my hope is that it is a hope for you. As we do that, I want to just focus on two particular things that our passage draws out. In friendship with God, we are filled. In friendship with God, we are filled. And then secondly, in friendship with God, we abound. We abound. Now I know sometimes the experience of life does not quite compute with such words of being filled and abounding. Sometimes we don't feel that way. Well, let's walk through our passage together and address that along the way. First up is that in friendship with God, we are filled. And we're going to look at three things here together. The means, the scope, and the fruit. The means, the scope, and the fruit. The means of being filled, as we find here in our passage, is through faith. Let's look again at the first part of verse 13. The very beginning of verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. In believing. The means of this filling work of God being done to us and in us and through us is through faith. That there is nothing more important that you will face in life than in believing. And as I've said before in this series and probably other times in my time here with you all, and hopefully we'll say again and again and many times ahead to no one's boredom is this. It's not the intensity of your believing or the amount of your believing that brings about your filling, if you will, It is the object of your believing that does it. It is not the intensity or the amount, but the object of your believing that we are filled. Now, you and I, we wake up every single day of our lives and we face a lot of competition for our hearts. A lot of competition to be the object of our believing. And there are many things that want you to believe in them and displace that of believing in the God who makes us his friends. One of the competitions that we wake up to is believing in what you can control. That the object of your faith for each day is that you are going to exhaust yourselves in controlling the things that you can control and hopefully control more as you go along the way. 
And all that we're going to do when we believe that our life will go well, when we control the things in our lives, all we're going to do is exhaust ourselves trying to create and maintain and control whatever it is that we call the good life. As if that would earn us some sort of cul-de-sac in heaven or something. We wake up every day with that staring at us across the table as we pour our coffee, asking us to give our hearts to it. You just give your heart to this, which you think you can control, things will go well for you. Another thing that we wake up to and we find ourselves facing every single day in competition to believing that God who makes us his friends is believing in what the world affirms. Believing in what the world affirms. And all we're going to do if we chase approval and acceptance from the things of this world, from the culture of this world, is that we're going to exhaust ourselves trying to live according to the world's ever-changing values and norms. You're only asking yourself to live on cultural eggshells the rest of your life. Never sure if you really have that approval. It's exhausting. But it's facing you. It's going to face you tomorrow morning. Once the fog of the reality of Monday morning goes through, then there they are, right? Staring at you, asking for your heart. Give your heart over to that which you can control. Give your heart over to that what the world affirms. And there's another competing aspect that we wake up to every day, and that is to believe in nothing. But you take a survey of all of this, and it feels all overwhelmingly exhausting. So it would just be a lot easier if we just believed in nothing. Just believed in absolutely nothing is a way of safeguarding your heart from feeling frustrated, discouraged, and whatnot. Because it's, it's, it's a reality for believer or unbeliever alike. Life is indeed hard. There's no escaping that. But hope, that seems way too risky. It would be better to not have any sort of hope. Every day we wake up to these kind of competing objects. And they're all going to exhaust and drain. The only one that fills is the God who would make us his friends. The only one that fills is the God who has done everything to remove every object, every obstacle between us and him. And so that is our means by which we are filled. Faith centered on the God who makes you his friend. In believing in that God, in believing in his purpose, his plan, his promise to bring about redemption, we enter into a relationship that fills us to the full. Where we get to recognize that God designed us to know him. That we get to be honest with the fact that sin bent and broke that design. And then we get to rest in and rejoice over that God rescues and restores and renews. That's the kind of friend he is. This is all fulfilled by the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the good life that we couldn't. And Jesus took on the brokenness that we uh, feel, and the brokenness of our bad. And Jesus brings about all things new. And we see this played out over the pages of history. We see this in the pages of Scripture. And then the Spirit takes all that Jesus has done and applies it to our lives. Applies it like a balm that heals 
and restores. Applies it like nutrients that give strength and vigor. Applies it like a pilot who helps us see above the storms. This is what we have in friendship with God. The object of our faith is the God who would make us friends. This is what we have. This is the relationship that we enter into. And this is our means of being filled. And it's through faith in that God. And what is the scope then? Well, the scope is for us in this verse that says filled. In believing in the God who would make us his friends, we are filled. The word for filled means to be full or to be complete. There's a couple of ways to get to that, to understand that. Because in our experience, sometimes we might feel empty and we might feel weary and we might feel weak. And it's hard for us to compute with what it means to be filled. So let's start first with God. In who God is, there is nothing lacking. Nothing lacking in God. Therefore, there is nothing lacking in what God supplies. If nothing is lacking in who God is, there will be nothing lacking in what God does. So let's start with the Father. The Father's plan isn't missing anything. It covers everything, every detail. The plan is secure. What about the Son? The Son came and lived and died and rose again. The Son's accomplishment is full and it's forever sufficient. It fulfills every detail of the plan. Nothing needs to be added to it. Jesus didn't do 97% of the work, and you have to contribute 3%. He didn't do 99.7% of the work, and you contribute 0.3%. He fulfilled it all. There's nothing lacking in what Jesus has done. Think about the Spirit. The Spirit's presence in the lives of God's people is not probationary, but permanent, as we considered just a few weeks ago. Permanent in applying grace to our lives. There is Nothing lacking in the plan. There's nothing lacking in the fulfillment of that plan. There's nothing lacking in the application of the fulfillment of that plan in our lives. What God has done for us in this friendship is not lacking or waning or diminishing in any way. We have to reorient our thoughts and our hearts to that truth. Our experience of that is certainly impacted by the context of our easily bruised or distracted hearts. And it's certainly impacted by the context of a broken and fallen world. Those things, our hearts and the world, will impact our experience of all that God has done. But it doesn't mean that God is absent or lacking or distant or uncaring or uninterested in us. When we take in the scope of who God is and what he has done, it counters those things that our hearts want to believe, those things that are not true of God. It's why we need to rehearse those truths to us regularly, why they need to shape the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray and the fellowship we share in. We need to be reminded and and to rehearse that most melodious tune of God's sufficient grace. We need to hear that sound Again and again. We need to be bringers of that sound in each other's lives. 
This is our means of, of being filled, and, and God is not lacking in anything that he supplies. So, the means, through faith. The scope, filled. And what is the fruit of that in our lives? Well, the beginning part of Romans 15, 13 says, the fruit is joy and peace. And believing in the God who would make us his friends, we can experience real, lasting, deep joy and peace in this life. Let's tackle each of those words. First, joy. Joy is a word that speaks to affections that are not bound to circumstances, but rise above them like rising above a storm cloud. And oftentimes we compare joy with happiness, and and we give happiness a bad name. And so I don't want to do that. Happiness is not a bad thing. Do not feel guilty about happiness. Enjoy the good things that make you happy. Just remember that happiness can be temporal. It, It can wane, it can come, and it can go. That doesn't make it bad. Now, we can be happy over bad things, and then that makes our happiness bad. But, but when we're happy over good, the good things that God has brought in our lives, we're enjoying the things that God has brought in our lives. Happiness is not something that make, should make us feel guilty. So I don't want us to sit there and create a dichotomy between joy and happiness. We just need to understand their reach and their scope. Joy is deeper and broader And it's sourced by something bigger and grander and greater. And the Holy Spirit is in our lives helping us to better understand and experience that joy. That's a fruit of being filled. is growing in joy, even especially when the life circumstances we are facing or enduring are difficult and overwhelming and hard. Secondly, we see the word peace. Peace is an important word. It has two very important meanings and applications to our lives. First is like it's, it's a legal word. Legally. Because of Jesus, we can have peace with God. That is, we are no longer guilty in His sight, but instead we have the right standing of Jesus that's now accounted for us. It's like a, an official legal verdict that there is now peace. There is no more guilty conflict because of sin. Christ has taken on our sin, paid it in full, and brought us into this right standing with God. There is now peace with God through Christ. There's that aspect of peace. But then there is the relational and the affectional and the personal experience of peace. Peace in our hearts. A peace that dwells in us richly. A peace we come to better know and understand and, and experience as we love the God who made us friends. And so when we think about the legal and the relational, the legal, the Son establishes it for us. Legal peace is established by the Son. We have His right standing. And when we think of the relational peace, it's the Spirit enabling our hearts to rest in that new relationship we have with God. The more we understand this and grasp this. The more it transforms our thoughts and our hearts, the more we experience the filled aspect of joy and peace that's brought into our lives because this God has made us his friends. Now, a couple of things. We won't experience joy and peace fully and perfectly in this life. That doesn't mean we can't have joy and peace truly in this life. 
There are a lot of reasons why we won't experience joy and peace fully and perfectly. We're on, say, this side of glory, if you will. There's still one more great work that Christ is in the process of finishing. And that is making all things new. And that will be a great day. And until that day, we will taste truly joy and peace as we anticipate knowing it fully when Christ returns. Now, keep in mind, until that day, the Spirit is doing something in our lives. Not an accident that joy and peace were brought out here in Romans 15, 13. You might recall to mind the first few words of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. The Spirit is at work in us so that we can better know and understand and enable our hearts to better experience the full joy and peace that we have in our relationship with God. To experience it now, even in the hardships and the sorrows, and to experience it forevermore. God has given us the Spirit for this end. This is what we are being filled with. Now, secondly, we find that in friendship with God, we abound. We abound. And so again, I want to walk through the means and the scope and the fruit the first, the means that we find here in Romans 15, 13, um, the second part of that verse, uh, what we find here is that um, the means we see here is by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So the means is by the Spirit. By the Spirit. So let me ask, let me, let me put, put it this way. Hope comes from outside, comes from the outside in, and then works from the inside out by means of the Holy Spirit. Hope comes from the outside in and then works in us and goes from the inside out by means of the Holy Spirit. Hope does not originate in us. It is not something we muster up. It does not belong to us. We do not possess it as if it's something inherent to us. Get this. Hope is a foreign substance. It's contraband in this world. Hope is something that originates with God. It is His to give and His to bring. The Romans 15, 13 begins with the words, the God of hope. It's His. The means of hope in us and for us and through us is God. And this comes to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no other way to have that kind of hope. There's no other way to have the kind of hope that friendship with God provides by means of God through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. It's important for us to see that and understand. The things in this world that we wake up to asking for us to put our hearts and our trust in cannot give this hope to us. It does, they don't possess it, but God does. Hope doesn't come because we are successful or comfortable or able to control our lives because if you lived any amount of life, you know that those things are fleeting. Success and comfort and control are fleeting in our hands and no solid basis for hope in our days. Hope resides in our hearts because the Spirit is the person of God bringing the promise of God and the power of God and the presence of God to the people of God. And just as we said 
earlier, there is nothing in God that diminishes or is lacking or leaves us wanting. God, in his fullness, has provided a way for us to know him and experience this relationship and friendship with him. And it's by the Spirit that we get such glorious contraband in our lives. And what is it? The scope of this then? Well, we find in Romans 15, 13 that it's abounding. The scope of what the Spirit brings to our lives is abounding. And believing in the God who would make us his friends, we abound. The word for abound means filled full to overflowing. The emphasis on the word of the word is on the overflowingness of the fullness that God has given to us by the Spirit. It's not just that it is to the full, it's that it runs over. That it runs over. The grace of God and the gospel of Jesus is so full, it is overflowing. Jesus has done everything to remove every obstacle between us and God. He has done this so thoroughly that its benefits to us and in us and through us are overflowing. The permanent presence of the Spirit in our lives brings about the overflowing benefits of Jesus' saving work. So what Jesus did and what the Spirit is doing both bring that which is abounding grace of God for us to our lives. You may have heard it said, there is more grace in God. There is more mercy in God than there is sin and need in us. And if you were to compile all of us in just in this room or those with us online, if you compiled all of our sins into a big giant crock pot, that would smell not great. Crock pots are supposed to be pleasant aromas when you get home, right? But this would be not pleasant at all. And if you were to take all of it from all of our whole lives, even the stuff we haven't yet done, it would be so overwhelming to us. And yet, all of that would not diminish the grace of God, even a slither. There is more grace and more mercy in him, and it is overflowing, abounding to us. Now, what is then the fruit of that? And that's where we we close our series with. The fruit of such abounding presence of God in our lives is hope. It is hope. In believing in the God who would make us his friends, we can experience lasting, overflowing hope in our lives right now. Theologians like to talk about the saving work of God in our lives as something that is already and not yet. Already and not yet. What this means is that we already know the victorious grace of God now. Even though life is hard and evil is real, we know that God's grace is victorious over it all because Jesus lived a life that we could not live and died the death we deserved and overcame an enemy we have no hope of overcoming on our own, that enemy being death. He won. He rose victorious. And that grace comes to us now through the gospel. We know that now. The not yet means there will be a day in which we will know that in full measure. Without the hint of st- or stain or shadow 
or reminder of sin or brokenness or fallenness to obscure our view. What we know now, we know it in a foggy, cloudy day. We know it truly, but it is still yet foggy. There will be a day when the fog will be burnt off in the presence of the sun as it restores all things new. And then in that day, what we knew truly in the fog, we will see fully in the brightness and glory of a glorious day. That already and not yet provides for us a daily hope. Even though what we know truly we know mixed with sin and sorrow and pain, we will know it in full measure one great and glorious day. Hope is the experience of the already and the not yet. Hope that is anchored in the past. Jesus took on what we couldn't pay and gave what we couldn't gain. Hope is anchored to the future. There will be a day in which there will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain. And that hope that's anchored in the past and anchored into the future is a hope that is present in the present because the past and the future are so sure. God has done it and will do it. Our hope is associated not to some sort of spiritual pep talk, but our hope is associated by getting a greater grasp of the God who would make us friends. I love what First Peter says at the very beginning of his letter. In verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All three of the Trinity are involved in that verse. God the Father purposed this great mercy to come to our lives. The Spirit has caused us to be born again, and that born again is to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. An ongoing hope. A real hope. Hope in the midst of all that we face. Hope that is connected to something bigger and brighter and grander and better in every possible way. Yet, if we're honest, it can be very hard to have hope in this life. It can, have, it can be very hard to experience that kind of hope in the everydayness of life. Throughout the summer, I referenced a book titled the same uh, as our series, served as a template called Friendship with God by Mike McKinley. He defined it this way, and I liked it, and I'm going to play off of that definition to compare it with some uh, competing struggles that we face. But here's what he says. Hope looks forward. It is belief about the future that informs the way we feel about the present. It is belief about the future that informs the way we feel about the present. So it's a belief about who God is, what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do, and why all of that is enough for us to have hope even now, even in the midst of a life that is indeed hard. Because it's looking at something above the storm. It's getting a vista beyond the, the turbulence and the thunder and the lightning and the rocking and the shaking. It's seeing something bigger, and it's connected to that. But life is indeed hard. You and I, we experience anguish, we experience sorrow, we experience sin, we experience trauma, we experience things in this life that can lead us to three competing struggles to having that sort of hope. 
be our experience in the day-to-day. The first that I think it leads us to struggle with is despair. Despair. What is despair doing? Well, despair, like hope, it is looking forward to. Despair looks forward. It, however, is a belief about the present that informs the way we feel about the future. Hope is a belief about the future that informs the way we feel about the present. Despair is a belief about the present that informs the way we feel about the future. It's the inverse. It's looking at our situations and our context, and they can be truly overwhelming. Like, where do you even begin? How do you even recover? I'm not making light of any of that. It really can feel like the darkness is all around and the the turbulence is going to take you down to the ground. And in that, we can find our hearts tempted to give in to despair. Believing that that situation and that storm, that circumstances is so overwhelming and foreboding and ominous that it's the only thing that we're going to be in the rest of our lives. The hurts of this life can be to such a degree that despair controls the heart. Another struggle that we might face is apathy. Apathy. Apathy doesn't look forward at all. It's a belief about the present that calluses over our feelings about anything beyond it. Rather than giving in to despair, apathy is really just sort of a defense mechanism from feeling hurt, from feeling pain, from feeling sorrow. It's better to not feel in order to feel any of those things. So it doesn't want to even bother looking ahead. It's just going to see today and calluses form over the heart. The third one is distraction. Distraction looks to the present. It is a belief about the present that can't look forward to a bigger, grander, greater future. It is a belief about the present that can't look forward. Can't feel anything forward because it's so distracted with the now. We can be distracted with really good things. We can be distracted with really bad or hard things. But distraction obscuring our view of that which is better, bigger, greater. Even though we might, and we may, or probably, experience harsh realities and deep struggles in this life, we have something greater in our friendship with God. And the Holy Spirit is at work in us, even in the various kinds of storms comforting us with something greater. Toward the end of a small little letter in the New Testament, Second Thessalonians, we get these words. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God the Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort, good hope, through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and work. Eternal comfort, good hope. There's a lot of things in this life that can give us good stuff, but only God can give.
eternal comfort and good hope that transcends all the kinds of storms that we might fly through. There will be times when things in your life will be inconvenienced and delayed. There will be times when you will fly right into a storm, when your heart will be shook and rocked. There will be times when the circumstances around your life will be dark and ominous. In those times, hope may not seem all that abounding or overflowing. There may be times in your life when God helps you look down on the lightning, and if by his grace he allows that, rest in those moments. For some, that may not come until the very end. Life may be hard all the way through. For that, I am sorry. But do not fear. Your pilot is calmly navigating you through the storm. One day you will see the vista, the filled to the full, the overflowing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day you will see the vista filled to the full and overflowing of the love of God. And one day you will see the vista of the filled to the full and overflowing fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. We know your word is an anchor for us even when we feel so disoriented by the things in this life. We pray that you would help us to rest in all that you have provided for us through your son who lived a life in our place and died a death we could not withstand to overcome an enemy we could never defeat. You have provided for us through the presence of the Spirit, taking such glorious grace and bursting into our lives with it. And in those times and those moments and those seasons, and even if it is the whole of our lives, oh God, when it is just so overwhelming, help us to see something bigger, grander, greater, above it all, beyond it all. And while it might be very hard for us to trust in believing, it might be very hard for us to know joy and peace, it may be very hard for us to have hope, I pray that you would, by your work of the Spirit, Apply that to our lives in the midst of all the various storms. Now you would bring into our lives people who will walk those roads with us. That we would be eager to be encouragements to each other. To look and to see the fullness, 
the overflowingness, the abounding character of your love and of your grace to us. God, help us to know the joy and the peace and the hope of being your friend. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.